0: y'all
1: come on in take your shoes off sit on down you're listening to in the corner
0: back by the wood pile. i'm a spun counter guy thanks for coming by DJ Ron has been spinning, promoting, producing, and writing about dance music for over 25 years now. His accomplishments are truly too many to list, but it's kind of one reason we sat down back by the woodpile to talk with the man. We crate beginnings, moments of growth, some of his favorite celebrity run-in stories, and most importantly, some of his to-die-for tracks you might find in his record crate.
1: So you're a big superstar DJ these days. Oh, please, that's the intro. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, everyone, I am Ron S. That's my new name for Chicago. You know me as DJ Ron. Um, I was on WRVU for many years. I've played at clubs in Nashville, and I'm here visiting to do a wedding. And he asked me to do this interview for his podcast. I've listened to several episodes, and I just don't want to start off coming off like a superstar, because I'm not. Well, is giving you a hard time. But (laughs) around here, you're big stuff. Uh, I've been very lucky and very blessed about how Nashville has received me and how they let me grow up to be the DJ that I am. Because when I started on 91, I tried to mix music on the air, and it was god-awful. Mm. And I got my first in 2000, and I taught myself how to bit mix on the radio.
0: I'll never forget, I was making deliveries, this is back in the 90s, mm-hmm. and you know, you're bored out of your mind, because you get tired of radio real quick. <laughs> and uh, I discovered your show, on I think it was Saturday nights, right? Mm-hmm. And I, it just blew me away, because it was music I hadn't heard, but what I also appreciated was your sense of humor. <laughs> I remember you were complaining about something, and after you went out about your rant, you said, Well, I'm just a, a bitchy fag, so whatever. Yeah. I was like, I man, this guy's great. So, I mean, during- I used to record it, too, and send it back home on cassettes to my friends because we didn't have anything like that in Indiana. So. Uh,
1: a funny story about that is mm-hmm. over Thanksgiving break, most of the people went home, mm-hmm. and I would stay in Nashville, And we'd do this thing called Three Fags Talking Turkey where me and two (laughs) friends would just try to pick up guys to go to Connection that night Uh on the radio. Connections. I forgot about that place. Yeah. Yeah. Formative club in my years. I mean, if we want to trace me back before radio, I was born in New York but I grew up in Orlando, Florida. And I loved listening to the radio because they had great dance music on the radio there. There was BJ 105 which became Mix 105 and Y 106 that became XO 106. And... In Orlando, in the 80s, it was all about freestyle. Mm-hmm. And it was a very Latino form of dance music that went pop with expose and cover girls. And I remember one song I heard on the radio and I thought, oh my God, this is everything. And the chick, her name was Debbie Dev look at weekend cause here we come cause weekends were made for fun and now you know i'm a dj not a singer and just recently the song was redone with reed stefan who's a really cool producer so that's a taste of freestyle where i'm from originally freestyle I think of whiny Hispanic guys crying over sad music and women like Debbie Deb and um, Niobe and of course
0: oh what God. The music play? What, what? Shannon
1: yeah who I met who's such a doll after all these years such a sweetheart um, I go to conferences for radio and for dance stuff and at probably summer sessions I got to meet Shannon and interview her and she's such a doll and she nails it every time on stage even to this day Love. And I remember when I was in high school, there was this movie with Christian Slater called Pump Up the Volume.
0: But the terrible secret is that being young is sometimes less fun than
1: being dead. And that's what inspired me to love radio. Because, actually, even going back before that, when I was in high school, there were two things I did. I went to Rocky Horror every Saturday, usually playing the role of Krim. And on Fridays, we went to Visage, where it was alternative. Mm-hmm. And you were all black with white face paint. And I wasn't exactly out then, but I wasn't actually in there either. And the DJs were amazing. Guys like Remark mixing um, Nine Inch Nails, Knights Revolting... Revco, I should say, because this is radio. Um, mm-hmm. Along with, like, Delight and S- Adamski. Mm-hmm. So it was, like, early assholes. This is, like... 88 through 90, before the rave thing took over, and all that stuff worked together really well. And I thought, you know what? Club is going to be part of my life. And then about that time is also when Pump of the Volume came out, and I got into radio, because I liked the idea of how an idea can infect someone's mind through what they hear. Right.
0: Now, go back to Visage's, you, uh, another local DJ, Minda mentioned that was very instrumental to in his career as well.
1: Yes, and we totally didn't know each other the whole time. <laughs> That's
0: bizarre. Yeah.
1: I mean, how big a club was it? How many people... I mean, it was several pass. hundred, mm-hmm. and they would have an underage night on Fridays, which is how I got in. Because I always wanted to go to Southern Nights and Parliament House, the gay clubs, but I wasn't old enough, obviously, because I was in high school. On your podcast is how I found out Tim was at that club, and after he said that, I messaged like, "Oh my God, your massage also? <laughs> I was there. Imagine how different our lives would have been if we'd have met 20, 30 years ago, yeah, or whatever yeah, that was." Yeah. And one of my favorite records of the time was Front 242's "Welcome to Paradise." <laughs> And then, for some reason, I applied for three colleges. Out of when well, I went to Lyman High School, there was Brown University, um, which I applied to but didn't get financial aid, so I couldn't afford to go there. University of Florida was my safety school. I got in fine with scholarship. But then Vanderbilt came along, and I was kind of edgy. And Vanderbilt was very conservative. Granted, this was the 90s, and true story, I kind of came out like explosively. And the southern white boys on my floor didn't really take well to that. And my favorite story of how ignorant people were back then, I heard this guy say that God created AIDS to kill homosexuals. Ouch. And I, I, I tried to do my deductive reasoning. I was learning one class and said, Well, actually, if that's the case, why is Africa such a um, bastion for the AIDS epidemic? And he said, Well, God hates black people also.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And then after that, I realized my dorm was not a place I want to hang out. I found McGill, The Philosophy Fine Arts Dorm, and I also found WRVU. And those are my two homes that got me through Vanderbilt four years, along with the Lamb Association. And I trained with these two girls who are like the alternative girls, and they're cheesy and fun. And they play this song just about every week. And it means so much to me because it's such a cheesy dance record. Um, it's kind of like pre-KLF in that making all the samples. It's by Idlevice, Bring Me Vice, And if you listen to 91 WRVU during the 90s, you know this record. And it samples ABBA, it samples all kinds of stuff. So, really me, Daddy,
0: so, really me, so what was your major at Vanderbilt? I don't think I've ever known that because you've always been a DJ, you know, which I don't think you majored in that.
1: My major was civil environmental engineering. And basically I knew I was really good with math. I came in and at AP credit, I got out of the first three semesters of calculus. I couldn't do biomedical because I got sick in biology classes. I, I can see it, but if I hear about it, I get sick. True story. Um, electrical wasn't my thing. And I thought environmental help the world be a civil engineer environmental. Of course, my freshman year, they're all gun ho but my senior year, they're like, "Oh, you have to be a chemical engineer to do environmental." I'm like, crap! I'm not gonna do this. And the only job offers I got were like to be on a gas plant in Texas. I'm like, I don't want to do that. So I'll stay in Nashville, and pursue my music career. Wow! And that's that's so why you fell in back
0: Nashville. into music, unlike everybody else around here.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so my first job, I was working as a receptionist for a mobile DJ company, mm-hmm. programming hotel nightclubs. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was so god awful. Yes. And I had Two bosses, and I had the most fun getting them to fight with each other because I was so miserable there. And I ended up getting fired, and it's one of the times where you're glad to be fired. And I became a tip at Vanderbilt, and it was through there watching the classified ads that I found the job I'm at today, which is with a government software company where I work remotely for them. And they've been really supportive of me over the years because I work my day job eight to five from home, and I'm free to do what I want on the weekends. So if I need to travel somewhere. If I need to do a gig at night, I don't have to show up in suit 8 o'clock in the morning. I can be at home in shorts doing my job fine. And so working that job really helped me do the DJ thing also. Because I did radio all through college, and I really didn't start doing club work till after I graduated. I would do parties on campus and stuff, but I didn't have the beat mixing thing down. And I always had in my head, you have to be able to beat mix in order to be a DJ. <laughs> During those WRB years, um, I was doing the, Out of the Closet, the gay and lesbian show which was inspired by going to Delaware for a youth conference, a college conference. And this guy talked about doing queer radio. I was like, oh, I should do that in Nashville because Nashville, the bastion of liberalness would be perfect. Um, And there's a record that was kind of like trademark for many years. It was by Ride Committee featuring Roxy. It's called Love To Do It. And it's this drag queen talking her voice off. And it's just such campy fun upside down turn me out love to do it love to do it and so that was in my ID for years
0: you play tons of music and I don't sometimes I don't think I ever heard you play the same song twice now granted I didn't get to hear every episode but surely there were songs that, that people called in to
1: request or it was maybe your swan song at rvu Big songs in the 90s on WRVU, when RuPaul's Supermodel came out, that was the biggest thing in the world. I had to play it twice per show. And then Femme to Femme, this lesbian quartet who did Switch, that was a techno record. And that was really big. Many, Tatiana Santa Maria, a real energy wreck from the connection days. Like for me also, the singer called Abigail, she had this amazing voice, and she did a cover of Katie Lang's Constant Craving as Europop, and it was just so amazing. I played that every week for probably a year. It was one of those songs that just would not go away. <laughs> Records like that were also like Billy Ray Martin, Your Loving Arms. I heard that in Orlando, and I was like, I have to buy the import single. Brought it up, I play it every week, and that was like my favorite song.
0: So many times have I asked you to tell me that I'm your girl. It's time after time I have needed a reason just to get inside your world. Well, we were talking in the car about playing gigs and some people in the crowd can be jerks. Uh, now, did you get that when you were at RVU? Like, people saying, like, I hate that song, why do you keep playing it? Or, or uh, why don't you play my song? Or, you know.
1: I had a diva attitude for a little while, where I would play requests if they fit what I was playing. But if it was some, like, freebird kind of crap, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I did once get kind of in trouble once because people kept asking for 2 Unlimited, and I was just so over 2 Unlimited. I mean, I got to meet Ray and Anita a few years later, um, the, the front people for the band, and they're nice people. And it was just like, okay guys, let's stop requesting 2 Unlimited, it's time to move on. And I said that on the air, and then a bunch were like, how can you say that on the radio? We like this, and where are your fans? Like, and I apologized, I was like, and that kind of let me realize that, you know what, it's not all about me, it's about serving the audience also. And that was a hard lesson to learn. Because fast forwarding to my excess years, I had free reign to do whatever I want. This was an after hours club. And I could push them as far as I could. I wouldn't play anything top 40 remixes. And that with also the ethos of 91 being alternative, not playing anything on commercial radio, that's how I was raised. So as I had to morph into a club DJ who did play to the crowd and played commercial music, that took me a few years to like, oh, That's what I'm supposed to do, and balance what I like with what the crowd likes. Going back to 91 in the beginning, 1991 is when I first got here. Techno was just starting here, and the rave scene was just starting in Nashville. In Orlando, I was going to rave parties there, and then in Nashville they had the first one called Rave Till Dawn and three companies put it together. It was Chris Lee's Anode, Rick Pfeiffer's Sound Shock, and Ann Betts' Bam. And the three of them did those early rave parties and they were magical.
0: So describe, like, were they out in a warehouse, or out in the woods, or, you know, this is Tennessee and...
1: I've been to all kinds of parties. Oh, yeah. in, like the, um, the Marathon Village building, before it was remodeled with holes in the ground, all kinds of sloppiness and fun, Uh, and great DJs like Larry Briggs or Barry Lakes if you played House, and Jack, and oh God, (laughs) I had so much fun back then. And honestly, I was never a drug person. I I respect whatever you choose to do with your body. I was always loving the music, and I would go and just enjoy the music, thought, you know, I'm gonna be up there DJing one day. And that also inspired me to get into mixing. Drag queens have drag mothers, DJs have DJ fathers. And one of my DJ fathers, they're both were Richie Huber and Russell Yarbrough. And I worked with Rich at Excess and Zone Before Excess. And Russell was the main DJ at Connection. This was 99, 2000. I was obsessed with the M People. Um, K-Class Loveland M People, Happy Handbag House. Heather Small was a singer of, of M People. And there was a song called One Night in Heaven. And Gained a DJ at Connection on a Saturday night. That was my one night in heaven. So I called it that. That was why I called my night when I promoted it back in the old days, promoting on paper flyers. And on that Monday, I saw online in the British club chart that there was a special remix package put out of all the young people's greatest hits remixed by new people. And I saw that one night in heaven was remixed by the Sharp Boys. And I'm the hugest Sharp Boys fan. So I had to get that record for that Saturday night. So... I found a shop that had the promo in the UK and of course this was also Thanksgiving weekend. Had it FedExed overnight to arrive in Nashville by Friday so I could rip it and play it that night and playing it that night was probably one of the most magical experiences playing that song. So it
0: it stood up to what your expectations were going to be?
1: It was, I mean, it's a Sharp Boys mix so I knew what it was going to sound like. Mm. All the mixes sound the same. (laughs) Sharp Boys, Wide Boys, um, (laughs) you kind of know what you're going to get and that repetitive, bouncy lines bouncy beat that's a dj-ron trademark is that bounce i like that
0: Sound like a gushing fan, but I should thank you because you turned me on to the Freemasons. The reason why I love them is they take, I think, really awful pop songs, or re- <laughs> and I hate, I, I'm just being real, or very mundane songs, and, and these are by some of the, the big people in the in the the industry. That you know, people, I just think they're they're not very good songwriters, or they don't have very good producers or whatever. But anyway, they make them just fantastic, and I I, I feel they're so great that they should get a writing credit because, I mean, they completely rewrite the song with the exception of the vocal track. It allows me to play really terrible pop songs <laughs> when people ask me for them, but it, but it pleases me too because, especially their bass lines, uh, their, their synthy bass lines.
1: Line, you to this beat. One thing that's a misnomer these days, I mean, somehow DJ has turned into producer because, oh, you make music, that means you're a DJ. Well, remixer originally meant that you took a song, put an intro and outro on it, and that was a remix. What's now a remix is actually a total re-production. The producer gets a vocal line, maybe some stems, but maybe just the vocal line, and they reproduce it. They build a whole track around it. So when you get a Freemasons production, it's lush, it's piano house. Probably my favorite Freemasons mix is Faith Evans, Mesmerized.
0: Ah, that was the first one I ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> and right. her version, is, in her defense, is actually pretty good. Oh, yeah. It's a completely different song. Yeah, <laughs>
1: it's amazing. Um,
0: you don't know what you do to me. Let me tell you, how you make me feel. I need your me. It's so good to me. I can't even sleep
1: me. It's Russell and Jim of the two guys, and I've met them, I've hung out with them, great guys. And James Wiltshire was also known as Jimmy Gomez, and he did lots of mixes back in the circuit days, and they just had to come back again because that piano classic house is big in the UK now, and also over here a little bit. <laughs> One thing I started doing, I was into journalism. I, I like writing, and I lucked into this position. I was first, I started writing for some really bad gay blogs out in America. And how was it bad? Oh, it's just I'd send them stuff to post. they never posted. They wouldn't promote it. I didn't get paid. And if I'm not getting paid, at least promote it. And I would built up a lot of interviews. And I was also going to conferences, going to a music conference, going to a Billboard Dance Music Summit. So I was meeting artists and DJs, building relationships. And I looked into dancemusic.about.com. I started with them in 2003. And the reason why I got this spot because I had the industry contacts and I had the interviews ready to go. And, and I remember one guy used to review for it. He was terrible. Let's not go into that.
0: <laughs>
1: you were good. Uh, Jimmy wasn't good. But we uh, good I,
0: was, I was talking about myself. Oh, no, you were good. Um, because I, I, I couldn't think of what to say anymore. I, like, it's like, how do I say this is great or this is,
1: this is mediocre? But anyway, <laughs> that, that's the that's side point. But back to your story. <laughs> um, with About.com, that made me stay current across the field where it's not just the house I like. I couldn't just write about gay house music all day. I played about, wrote about electro, about mm-hmm. trance. And I got to know a lot of people in the industry. And this was the early days of web as press. And so I had to really fight for people to there's more to press than magazines. The internet is where the dance music community is. And by doing that, I became one of the forerunners in that field. And I also got access to lots of people that really blew my mind. And so I eventually got the chance to interview the Sharp Boys on the phone. And these are guys I worshipped for years. I was such a, such a fanboy. I kept those poor guys on the phone for an hour talking to them. To the point where they're like, Rod, we love you. We need to go to sleep. <laughs> Fast forward four years, I went to Amsterdam dance event and I stopped by London afterwards and I said, hey guys, I'm going to be in London, can I come to your show? Like, sure, we'll put you on the list. I'm like, okay. So I go there, I show up at the door and the guys are like, oh, I need to get someone to let you in. I'm like, okay. And both the guys came down and said, Ron, it's so nice to meet you. And they were just so nice and so sweet. And it was one of those times where meeting people you idolize, they're even more than you can imagine. Now, um, you don't have to name names, but
0: I, I I know that I've met some people that I, I, I analyzed and they end up being total uh, D-bags.
1: Have you had that experience? Oh, of course. <laughs> I'll, I'll go on record uh-huh. saying with my different industry things, I give everyone the benefit of the doubt because sometimes you have a bad night. Mm. And so if you're a dick to me once, I can play it off like, OK, you're just having a bad day. Um, second time, you know little fishy three times your dick (laughs) and there are a few people who've reached that pinnacle of three times being a douchebag and number one on that list is afrojack Oh, really and at first i thought it was just me Uh but it ends up no one likes this guy Uh and the way this really hit home is i was in miami at a press call for robbie rivera And Robbie is the sweetest guy in the world, filthiest mouth, and he's also a really nice guy. So it's like five of us waiting to talk to Robbie Rivera, and he's a no-show. And his manager comes and says, we don't know where he is, we can't find him, this isn't like him. And and we all know, because the five of us have spoken to him, we know he's a really nice guy. And you hear someone shout out, oh, is he pulling an Afrojack? And everyone just started laughing, and we all exchanged war stories with Afrojack. So he just
0: doesn't like people, but he likes music, Afrojack.
1: Oh. I'm not gonna say that. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I can tell you one story where I was booked to do an interview with him at the Amsterdam Dance Event press room, and I, I was about .com, so I was not that big a deal. But like MTV was there, and there was another like UK London press was there, and he just didn't show up. And so I sent out the special like, "Oh, I guess he was stuck inside Paris." Uh, and You get the joke? Yeah, ding ding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're not gonna play out for Jack song. No? Okay. <laughs> no, Thanks. And, I actually interviewed him once on camera, like a video interview, Uh and he got so upset with background noise that he stood up and had a total temper tantrum. Uh And this is after he lost all the weight. And he's really tall. He's like seven foot two. Uh And when you start an interview, you start off with lightweight stuff and kind of just build up to the hardcore stuff that you want to ask them. And so we got to the point where I was about to ask something serious. Like we had just listened to his album the day before, and I recognized three tracks were not his, they were taken for some, they were sampled they were duplicated. It was not original tracks. And I wanted to ask about that, but he had this temper tantrum, was like, guess I can't go there. I need to calm him down. <laughs> and then a friend of mine who does Get House Radio says, oh, Nick Von is his real name. Um, oh, he's a really great guy. He's always really sweet with me. I'm like, you're the one guy he's nice to. Hmm.
0: One of your trademarks when you were on uh, about.com was always taking a photo with your little tiny pen, which you could hardly see in the photos, <laughs> too, no no offense. Yeah. But uh, I thought it was great, you end up having like some of the
1: biggest names, you know, at least hold your little pen. <laughs> that started off, there was a breakbeat DJ in Nashville that I love called Zach Davis. And we go to, we to a music conference together, and we just have the buttons to people. And if you have a competition like, who could you get to hold the button? Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's but great cross marketing. Yeah. You know, I mean and when I moved on to Noble Dance, I did it with the earplugs. Mm-hmm. Now, stupid me, going back in time, why did I get a picture of all these people? Because I could have had a picture with, like, Rochelle Fleming or um, Boy George at the time. All these really great people I spoke to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never thought of getting myself in the picture, and I... <laughs> like, my worst regret is I actually got to meet Lula Holloway who is one of the most classic singers of all time. She's been sampled so many, Mm -hmm. and I actually got to sit down and had a nice conversation with her. And that's one picture I would have really, really wanted, um, because that was an amazing night in my life. Mm -hmm. Also mentioning Boy George, a funny story about him. I respect him as a DJ. He was one of the first celebrity DJs and when he first DJed, he was a crap DJ. He couldn't beat mix. And there was lots of this talk in the UK press, like, oh, he's not really a DJ. He's just a celebrity DJ. But I learned something from him. This was 2004, I think. And I saw him DJ three different venues. He DJed at a circuit party, which was tribal for gays. He played a trance event where he played trance. And he also played a boat cruise, which is very Balearic, like all kinds of eccentric out there stuff. I beat that kind of music. And he was different at all three events. And I thought, okay, that is an entertainer. He knows how to play to his crowd. And I try to pick up stuff from people I watch DJ. And fast forward to two years ago, 2014, I got to open for him for Derby in Louisville and interview him also. Great interview. He's back in his swords. And I sent the picture into Wendy Williams. I'm obsessed with Wendy Williams. I watch Run Show on TV every day. And... um, I sent him the picture, they never ran it. Well, they ran it two weeks ago. <laughs> really? <laughs> because she, he was coming on the show. Uh, and so the story guy is like, oh, I got to meet Ford George backstage, I'm a huge fan of his. <laughs> and it says DJ Rod from Nashville watching it. And so I got like, Rod, I thought you lived in Chicago. When you move to Nashville? And so people did that, that was just kind of funny. Oh, huh, that's cool. Another part of my life through about.com, I started going to Amsterdam dance events um, because I'd written something about, about them and it got really high in the Google search engines, because About was the master of Google search rankings uh, back in the day before Kermit came along. And I remember that second year, I got to see Chucky and Don Diablo. And I kind of had to choose which one I think is the a superstar. And I was in love with Don Diablo, because not only is he totally hot, on stage, he's the most dynamic entertainer. And he has the most obsessed fans who just totally vibe with him. And it's not the kind of thing where he puts his arm in the air and the people arm in their back. The crowd interacts with him, and he gives his all on stage. He's singing, he's dancing, he's screaming, he's leading chants, he's the full Monty. And this is back in 2007. And he went through a whole cycle where he got signed to Sony, but then the project didn't come out. And then he's doing really now spinning records, doing singles with the whole Future House thing. And there's one record he did called Hooligans. And in it, he wore this blue leather hoodie. And I thought, you know, I want to find one of those. So I want to wear it on stage at play and totally rock that look. And so I found it at H&M in Miami. But how much was it? It was like $23. It's H&M. Oh, it's okay. nothing. Wow. Um, and it was a, like a bluish purple hoodie. And I played the video. I put the hoodie on. Mm-hmm. I was going Because it's a really aggressive record. Mm-hmm. And all I thought was like, God, I'm hot. So I went balls up in this like pleather hoodie on stage like, how does Don do this? That's so not very practical, huh? <laughs> And you might know Don Yelvo on the record's example, a rapper who broke out after that. Now you played at, at several clubs in Nashville. I think just about every one of them I can think of. Oh, for the years I did. I did a night shoot once. Um, I got to play a couple times at Connection. We did this thing called Ohm. It was Chip B, Brad Robinson, and I in the back of 328 back in the day. And we tried to bring in a crowd. It didn't really work. It was after hours. And then Midnight Sun started doing an after hours, and it was called The Zone. And I played it for like a year. And that was my first time starting a crowd from no one and building it up to have a crowd. And it was mainly gay guys coming who went to circuit music. And they really didn't take me seriously at first. For folks who don't know, explain the circuit music. If, imagine a rave party for gay guys who have perfect muscle bodies. They're basically doing the same drugs, but it's a more of an emotional experience. And when it first started out, it was trance and pretty high energy. Then it kind of transitioned into being more tribal and pots and pans and aggressive. Like, my first circuit DJ I fell in love with was Julian Marsh. And he was a role model of mine. And so what would happen is... Russell would play Primetime at Connection, and then the gate would come to me at Zone, and we'd take them a little further because they'd been warmed up, and we could go a little more aggressive, a little more out there. And that was my first real residency that I got to make a sound, explore. And the Circuit Boys didn't really take me seriously because I wasn't doing drugs. How can I possibly experience music if I'm not on drugs? But what happened is, invariably, when the club closed, I'd go out, and there'd be one of them G'd out in their car on GHB, not be able to move, mm-hmm. And I'd sit with them, get them water, make sure they're okay. And after doing that like three or four times in a row, the guys were like, "Oh, you get us!" And then they accepted me and they embraced me as part of them. People's
0: back once again, will the renegade master, default damage, the ill behavior. Back once again, Will the renegade master, default damage. Power to the people's back once again, will the renegade master. Back both deep with
1: back with default. And I was at Zone for like a, a good year, and Richie Huber and I were both DJing there. I always treated my DJ booth as a safe space. There was no drugs in there, and if someone was not feeling well, they were allowed to come up and they'd sit down and they can chill out, and I'd make sure they got that, I was, I wanna say, like a caretaker. But the manager at the time thought it'd be cool to deal drugs out of the DJ booth, and he and I got into great disagre- disagreements about it. And when the club had to decide whether to keep the manager or the DJ, I'm the one who got kicked out. Essentially, you're bringing the subject up a
0: lot because
1: I was talking to one DJ who, who
0: knew a lot of famous people, and he said... Uh, we were talking about the stereotypes of this music and the drugs, and he said, yeah, the, the best DJs are the ones that don't do anything. They don't even drink. He said because they they can say no to stuff because it's so readily available, especially when you're the DJ and you know, people just want to hand you stuff, you know? And I assume that you've led that lifestyle because you're looking pretty good for your age, I would assume. I don't even know how <laughs> you old you are. You good yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm 42. You're 42, yeah. And yeah. you're,
1: you're not dead. Once I started DJing, I never, I rarely, really drank Drugs, I just got high on life. It, it just wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll say this mm-hmm. for two reasons. Mm-hmm. Being on the radio here in Nashville and being well-known in public, I never want to be in a situation where I wasn't in control of the situation. Where I was sloppy, unacceptable, and not presenting a good image for gay men in Nashville. I didn't want to be seen on the, fall, on the floor messed up drunk. I didn't want people to see a public gay man in Nashville like that. Yeah, it's also bad as a quote-quote role model um, to say that the only way to be happy as a gay man is to be on drugs or on alcohol or drinking. And there's nothing wrong with drinking. If you choose your drugs, that's your choice. You can have fun and be social without it. You don't need the social lubrication of alcohol mm-hmm. to have a good time. And the second reason is, as a top, I like being in control.
0: Have you ever had a moment where, where someone reached out to you that they had a problem and they're like, how do you
1: say no or how do you say strong and all that? I'll go even further. Back in the WRVU days, um, when we were doing the gay and lesbian show Out of the Closet, I'd have kids calling in saying, um, I'm going to kill myself. I've never talked to them about being gay before. How do I do this? And a lot of that show was off-air doing counseling and getting people to the gay and lesbian switchboard to psychiatrists I were friends with. And I hate to say this is my favorite story, but probably the best example of this was this kid who called in and said, I can't Go on, my dad's gonna sew me. And just he was on the edge, he was about to kill himself. And I had a friend with me down there, we talked him down for a good three hours, and we made sure he found a counselor to work with him. And then that was about March, April. And then that next Thanksgiving, his father called in and thanked me and said, Because of you and this show, my son is still alive. I don't understand the gay thing, but I love him because he's my son. Mm-hmm. And that to me was one of the most amazing moments of my life where someone was helped and he found love from his father. For the drug thing I've adopted kids over the years because when kids come out in Nashville or in small towns outside like Dixon or wherever they get disowned and so they end up going to drugs or going to alcohol or going to the gay bars that's the only place they can go and so there have been several guys over the years I'd say okay you don't have to do that let's do this and you can't tell them what to do, but you can show them by example. And so, I'm not going to name names, obviously, but I've helped them get first jobs, find an apartment, find a safe place to live. I don't want to say it's my ministry, because that's not what my thing is, but... You try to help when you can. Yeah. Okay. Like that song from Chameleon, um, Finding some, some Guidance from Up Above. Mm-hmm. You were just talking about circuit music. That's probably the best song to play right now. Find a love, find a love, a little little Now, here's a story that no one knows, because this was kept off the records. I'm not going to name names, I'm going to tell you the story about how XS opened. Okay. There was a drug dealer who got a really big load of drugs. Zone was part of Midnight Sun. And Zone kept getting in trouble for having underage people in there with liquor there. So much so that like on a Saturday night afternoon, they were told you can't be here anymore. You can't do Zone anymore. And this is after I was already fired. And so this drug dealer contacted me, who was a friend of mine from college. I won't go any further with identifying him. Ron, I need a place to sp- have a club tonight because I have all the drugs to get rid of. And so I was like, I haven't DJed in a while at a club. I'll find a space. And so for Ross, who on the underground had 909. And so we rented the downstairs space and that became excess. And I played the first night there and we got a crowd there because we flowered connections as people were leaving. And it just built and became huge. And Excess is the residency that I really based my life on. We opened in 2007, and we played Fridays from 2 to 6, Saturdays 2 to 8. And me and Richie, me and Lance G, me and Russell. And then when Orbit opened downstairs, what would happen is the Raver kids would come out at 2 and fill the club. Then the gay guys would come at 3 from Connection. And I say gay guys, gay guys, lesbians, all the multicultural people, would come at 3 o'clock, there'd always be a crowd there, and everyone would party together. And excess was the first space to be like that. And unlike other venues, it wasn't sloppy. Like, I could look at the dance floor, and I would not see drug deals. I would not see people sitting on the floor rubbing each other's shoulders. I would not see money changing hands. And that's how I felt safe spinning there. I mean, I knew drugs were happening there. Duh, it's 4 o'clock in the morning. Something's going on. But I didn't see it, so I felt safe there. And the XX years were some of the best years of my life. Because when you have the chance as a DJ to play music you love, play new music that you feel, and have people respond to it, if you ever have the luck and the honor and the blessing to play in a situation like that, that's Nirvana. It's yeah. I mean, it's one thing to be on the radio playing what you like, and that's a blessing too, obviously. Um, but to have a crowd that appreciates that and goes along with you and follows your lead, that doesn't happen. It very rarely happens.
0: What was one of your anthems during that time?
1: Oh, I mean the Diva Records, the Kim English Unspeakable Joy, Christine W Clubland, all the records from Thunderpuss, all the way to like the the Trancy Energy Records, everything that came out on, all that hard style like the Tidy Boys. <laughs> Going back to Christine W. That's a woman who's been in my life for a long time. Um, I met her for the first time in 1995. She was here for the Crooked Chase Show. And I was invited to go to be in the audience. And we have kept in touch over the years. And one year in 2000, I was touring. I played four different events with her over the same year. And so we've just been friends all these years. And she's the most amazing singer, most beloved woman in Clubland. Oh, I love Christine W, I love my divas, and another woman who has been very important in my life is Crystal Waters. You know her for 100% Pure Love and la da dee la dee da gypsum woman. And I don't remember the first time I met her, but so many of the best nights of my life have been with her. Two of them that come to mind was well, the first time I played Miami for conference was at the MOVA. Crystal Waters was hosting. Christine W, I told her I was performing, was like, hey, can I sing? Sure. And then Catherine Ellis also sang, and that was just an amazing night. And then another year at Amsterdam Dance Event, I went to go see Robin S. performing at this little club, Show Me Love. And it was a little Dive Dads club, and I saw Crystal Waters there. And I never met Robin S., and so after she finished singing, she was saying hello to all her fans. Chris and I went up to talk to her, and I was like, hey, I want to go see Cece Peniston. She's down at Jimmy Woo's. And I was like, okay, let's go. And they both looked at me and like... Okay, I guess I'm gonna play Road Manager now, mm-hmm. and so I ran downstairs. I got a taxi, got the two girls, uh-huh. the two divas, <laughs> Crystal Waters and Robin S. Into the taxi. Guys, have Jimmy Woo's. I go up to them, like, um, excuse me. I've got Crystal Waters and Robin S. Here. We need to get them into the venue. Got them into this venue. End up in this VIP suite with Crystal, CC, and Robin S. All together. Like, oh. this is heaven. <laughs> I, I, I have a picture of that. Thinking, I can't believe this happened. Mm-hmm. And it's just another example of how. So the best nights of my life hit with Crystal Waters, and for her, I'm nothing but 100% pure love. I'm the the Tribe opened in 2002 or three, and that was the video bar. And that was another amazing experience, because that's when I really realized that I'm not playing for me, I'm playing for the crowd. And it's a different thing. And I didn't grasp that at first. It took me a while to understand and comprehend that I'm not on the radio playing for myself, I'm not excess playing for those kids, I'm playing to entertain this crowd. Now you're a VJ also, so explain to folks what that is exactly. Okay, VJ has two different meanings. You have the guys who do happy hours, who do show tunes, and they play one video after another. Actually there's three. Then you also have the VJs who do visuals for other DJs. Then you have what I call video DJs. I don't, I don't know what you call it. We actually beat mix the videos so it's like you're at a club playing the songs and the videos go along with it. I have a controller just like the DJs who do audio, but I use my control audio and video. And there's actually a song that was kind of inspired this. Because so I was at Tribe just playing one video after another, and I was using laptop for audio. I went to audio on laptop Attractor back in 2002, and about 2006, I got booked to play Swan Ball here in Nashville. I was with Jay Leno and Earth Wind and Fire, and there was a song by Funker Man called "Speed Up," and it's about getting this girl into bed with you, and that's what the song's about. But there's a line in it that kind of changed my life. And it says, baby, step up your game. And I took that, I mean, you know, I need to step up my game here. I need to go to the next level. I need to beat Mixed Video. And through Julian Marsh, I met Chris Racine, who was in South Florida at the time. And we figured out how to get Virtual DJ to beat Mixed Video in a stable way. And so I beat Mixed Video on my laptop for um, Swan Ball. And then for some special events for outrageous, I've been very lucky. I played outrageous every year from '99 to the last year in 2012. Instead of just doing dance music, we did video dance parties for outrageous. It's a big special event. And play opened in 2006, but I wasn't playing there. The resident was Lenny B, and I didn't have a way of staying there because I was the tribe guy. And here I was loving playing dance floors, but I was just playing the video bar. And I love playing the video, but I want to be on the dance floor. And so I got the opportunity to spend at Play one night. I I actually got booked for Friday, Saturday, because everyone's out of town. And so, said, well, hey, I want to try doing video one night here. And they weren't totally against it because they didn't think it could work, that people wouldn't understand it. And so I played that first Friday, and the response was insane. Everyone went nuts over it. And if you think about it, it makes sense, because Play skews younger, and the kids these days, Music isn't enough to get them off. They live online all day. They're on the Facebook, the Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, or back then, friends from MySpace. And so video gives them another medium to interact with, so it's not just the music. And so it was so big on Friday, they said, do it again on Saturday. And that's how I got my way into the club. Of course, everyone knows faithless God is a DJ, and that's not really about thinking of myself as a god up on the dance floor. But there is a way to find spirituality and happiness through dance music lyrics. And there was a time in the late 90s when they're getting gospel divas to either remix their records or to sing inspirational lyrics over dance beats. Mm-hmm. And there's something really amazing, but also brilliantly twisted, about singing religious lyrics over dance music. And there's a summer where every record is about the joy. It was Let the Joy Arise, Unspeakable Joy, This Joy by Vanessa Mitchell, Let the Joy Rise" by Abigail, and of course, Unspeakable Joy by Kim English. This is the Razor and Grito mix. This one's everything.
0: Winter Music Conference, how
1: long have you been going down to that? first time I went to a music conference was in 1995. I was a senior at Vanderbilt and usually they sent someone, the business manager to CMJ. I could care less. So I went to a music conference and the budget was very limited. So I figured, okay, I run a car, find a place to stay. And up, I put, brought the car back and just stayed in a hotel with a friend of mine. And I met the guys from 12 Inch Dance, Resto And I met Abigail, my first celebrity. Billy Ray Martin was singing on one of the stages. I got to see her perform. And that's when women's conference was very small. It was just people who love dance music. It was before everything got really global. I went back in 2000, as a DJ, I'm just the guy in Nashville playing on the radio and playing in clubs. But by going to conferences, networking and meeting people, that's how I advance in the industry. That's how I know everyone. That's why back in the day, Paul Van Dyke would send me a track and say, hey, would you listen to this? Um, tell me what you think of it. At first I thought, oh, I got to follow the artists around. They're the big ones. No, it's the DJs. They realized, no, it's the publicists who last a long time, not the label people. <laughs> they come and go. And a funny story about Paul Van Dyke, and this actually has a national part of it too. There was this music lounge at the W. It was very VIP, hoity-toity. And it started pouring down rain. And of course, I knew Plum. because She's here in Nashville. Amazing singer, Christian artist, very open to dance music. And so I was under a... Little Tent, Point of Rain, and it's BT, Paul Van Dyke, and Plum. And I'm like, I gotta hook up these guys together. And so I introduced BT to Plum, I introduced Paul Van Dyke to Plum, and out of that track came I Don't Deserve You, a song that Paul Van Dyke did with Plum. A year later, I was at Lexi for promo Only Summer Sessions, and they performed the song together, and I didn't create the song, but to hear a performance live of a song you helped put together, that's pretty amazing. I still can't believe that you're right next to me. After all that I've done, I don't deserve you now. To give it to me anyway, can't get it now. You're everything I need. And when I've been involved with some records over the years, I've never really done A and R, for example. As Piper with Tommy Dorsey and Lenny B, we did remixes for Winona Judd, Leanne Rimes, and um, Kylie Minogue. We were the only official US remix of Kylie Minogue's slow. One thing a lot of people don't know is I actually have a gold record for Leanne Rhymes' Can't Fight the Moonlight because that was such a huge hit in the UK, it went gold with sales. And it got big because of the remixes and I helped choose the remixes for that project. And I've actually never met, no wait, I've met Leanne Rhymes in passing but I've never actually had a conversation with her. But I have actually a gold record plaque for sales for Can't Fight the Moonlight because I helped A&R with the remixes. Thanks also to Brian Stewart at Curb Records, who's been one of my mentors over the years, who's helped me develop as a person, as a man, as a professional. And for getting me involved in projects like that and just give me a positive motivation and just being a mentor to me. of my favorite diva stories. I was with Dwight Barkley, a from Pensacola. This was WMC 2001. The two of us, me and Dwight, Dwight's from Pensacola, or from, he's actually from Mobile, Alabama. I'm from Nashville. We're walking down Collins Avenue and we see a car stop and four black women get out. One of them is kind of large and I'm like, oh my God, they've got to be singers because they're all made up. They're all beautiful. I noticed one of them was wearing really thick glasses. as like, that's gotta be Don Tallman. And so I walked up to her and said, Excuse me, are you Don Tallman? And she goes, Yes, baby! And this is Barbara Tucker! This is Michelle Williams! Not the, um, not the one for Nessie's yeah. Child, but the gospel singer Michelle Williams. And I forgot who the fourth one was, probably Charlotte Small. And like, You wanna come with us tonight? I'm like, Sure! And so I spent the night, me and Dwight, flying the four ladies around from club to club as they sang their songs at all the different clubs in Miami. I mean, I love DJs. I love watching DJs spin. But when a woman's up there sing, or a dude, I mean, there's really great male singers too, like Peyton's amazing. But to hear a singer really express themselves live and when the crowd sings along with them, there's nothing like that. And that's what speaks to me. And that's why I always love working with live artists and seeing live artists perform live. <laughs> ¶¶ And then also, Ming Don Tallman that year, um, she did this amazing song. It's kind of sad to play right now. It's called Save a Place on the Dance floor for Me. It's a song about Lisa on HIV. Just a spiritual, really amazing song. And we did the Fusion Radio Party at MOVA that year in 2014, I think it was. And I was like, we gotta have her on stage. And I've always wanted to see you sing the song live. And not a lot of people knew who she was she never had the big, big pop hit. But when she took the stage and sang that song, everyone just stopped and felt the moment. Her voice is so big. She calls it gospel energy. Uh,
0: You mentioned HIV. It, It seems like I don't watch a whole lot of news, but it has kind of not been in the forefront like it used to be. In the gay community and the club lands and all that, what's your take
1: on it? Oh, this could get me into trouble because it's got me in trouble already in Chicago once. I'm kind of old school in my mentality. I believe in condom usage. If you choose not to, it's a risk you take. There is now a drug called PrEP, which is pre-exposure axis, and it's basically a similar drug you take for treatment of HIV, but you take it in doses when you're not infected, and it prevents you from being infected. And a hundred percent? If taken on a daily basis, I'm not sure what the percentage rate is, we need to look it up, because I don't want to say it's 20%, but it's really, really high for protection. So now, what people suggest is you be on PrEP, and you practice on safe sex. What I see now that scares me is that a lot of people see PrEP as your get-out-jail-free card. I can do whatever I want, whatever sex I want, and I won't have any side effects. And what they don't realize, it's not just HIV that you can get. You can get syphilis, you can get gonorrhea, you can get chlamydia. There's so many other things you can catch. Hepatitis. And PrEP is not pretty from that.
0: So this PrEP doesn't help... Defend against any of that other stuff.
1: It's just HIV. And I think PrEP is a really good thing if used safely along with other methods to prevent transmission. Now, I am not an expert in this field. Do not take what I say as gospel. If you're in Nashville, go to Nashville Cares. If you're in Chicago, go to the Howard Brown Center and educate yourself. If you're having sex with someone, don't believe they're always telling you the truth and make educated choices. And don't let drug use or alcohol interfere with that.
0: In addition to his monthly spot at Hunter's in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, DJ Ron also has a weekly residence at Roscoe's in Chicago, where he now lives. Ron talks a little bit about moving up to the city that both birthed house music and the DJ as the artist.
1: One thing about Chicago I'm really loving, I was warned that the DJs, that they're really cutthroat, really aggressive, and I would have a really difficult time up there. And I've been so lucky to be embraced by the DJs up there. And just Roscoe's is like a family. It's like play, where everyone loves and supports each other. And my fellow DJs at Roscoe's, and also all the DJs at the other clubs. We all know each other, we all love each other, but we all respect each other, I should say. I'm sure there's animosity that I don't know about, but I did not get any negativity from people. I didn't get any like, oh, who do you think you are? I mean, we just had Barry Harris and Guy Scheinman in town for um, World Day weekend, and so a lot of DJs got together to have a meal with them. And from different, from Jackhammer, from the LHA clubs like Hydrate, from Mini Bar, from Roscoe's, and we're all there having a good time. There's not bar wars there. And I'm just so lucky and thankful because my biggest fear is I'd move to Chicago and I wouldn't be able to DJ or there'd be all this aggressive, like, cutthroat nature and it just doesn't like that. And I'm really, really happy for that. Well, where do you think that perception came from? I don't know if it's people trying to discourage you from moving from Nashville, but I mean, in a lot of places, DJ culture is very cutthroat. I mean, New York, oh my God, (laughs) it's brutal. And LA, yeah. And Chicago being a big city, you'd think it would be like that. But I also think it might be a generational thing, where DJs from 20 years ago were aggressive, and this year now there's room for everyone, because there's so many venues to play at.
0: So we're about to wrap it up here. I'm curious
1: about what's a song that you're really excited about right now. Right now, anything Barry Harris mixes, I'm all over. He was from Thunderpuss back in the days, and he's on point doing pop remixes. On the more indie front, there's a singer in New York called Baby Raptors, and the song is called I Am My Only Love. And Penguin Prison did a remix of it, and it's so Lionel Richie New Kids on the Block in such a fun way. And actually, I got to meet Penguin Pres when he came through Chicago, amazing DJ, producer and musician and singer too. I can say Mary Griffin, We Can Get There, because that's just such an inspirational song with amazing lyrics. And she's always been a very important part of my life. You stand by me and I can touch the stars I can see
0: eternity in your eyes oh. Before we go, What's one last song that you want to share with us and why?
1: It's so hard, I mean, because I could say love ink, you're a superstar, because that's Simone Denny singing, that's the first MP3 ever downloaded. I could say Giselle Jackson Love Commandments because that was speed garage and a gospel diva singing. That you want to me, now I'll show you I could say Tatiana Santa Maria because that's just a high energy anthem of all time. Or even Monocue, Stay In Love, because that was a Nashville record, not big anywhere else. But I'm gonna go with a record that has always been inspiration for me, and that is Loveland, featuring the voice of Rachel McFarlane, Let the Music Lift You Up. It's all about, I don't mind being the first on the floor if that's what it takes to make you groove. Let the music and the spirit make you high. Let the music lift you up.
0: If you'd like to learn more about Ron and most importantly, check out his DJ mixes, simply go to DJron.com. That's djron.com. ncom the In the Corner Back by the Wood Pile podcast is produced by a closet, a pocket, and a suitcase. You can email us at spuncounterguy at hotmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at spuncounterguy. And if you'd like to see a list of former episodes of In the Corner Back by the Wood Pile, go to spuncounterguy.com and click on the pictures of piles of wood with chairs in front. Be sure to download the new Podbean app to hear this podcast and others on your tablet and smartphone. And we are now on iTunes. Just do a search for Back by the Woodpile on the iTunes store and we should pop up. And a special thanks to thebrofisticate.com.